All right, so cool merch aside, tonight we're continuing our study in Colossians chapter 4. So turn with me there as we get started. Um, And last week we started into this chapter with a discussion on, on preparing our lives for evangelism, preparing our attention, preparing our mind, and preparing our speech. And all those things are, are important for us to do ahead of time to make sure that we're ready for evangelism opportunities uh, when we get them in our lives. Uh, but the next couple of verses in this chapter continue that discussion by talking about how we should be behaving as those opportunities are happening. So let's read Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. So tonight's message is super simple. We're just going over these two verses, and we're going to look at two things that can affect the lost world around us. Our walk and our speech. Our walkie and our talkie. Um, so hopefully the title of tonight's message will make sense to you in a bit. Um, it's a little weird, I know. But these things are especially important when we're talking about how we affect them that are without, meaning lost people, the people who aren't inside the body of Christ the way we are. Because like we've been talking about for weeks, people's perceptions of us and how we live our lives can help shape their understanding of who God is. So if we claim to be a Christian and claim to belong to Christ, then people who know that about you will begin to form their understanding of Christianity based on what you're doing and on what you're saying. And the sad part is that there's a bunch of people who claim to be Christians who don't live anything like what the Bible describes. We can't let that be true of us. If we want to give people an accurate understanding of God and of the Bible, then we have to live the way the Bible tells us to. And last week, we really honed in onto that topic of evangelism and using our lives to, to reach lost people. Um, and just our need to do that every chance we get. And we talked about how we can prepare ourselves for those opportunities so we don't miss them when they come along. But tonight, we're going to talk about your walk and your speech, and both are still in the context of evangelism. Because verse 5 makes it clear that we're paying attention to how we're walking and talking toward them that are without. So if we want to be evangelists, doing our God-given job of sharing the gospel effectively, then we need to understand how we should approach the lost people around us so that our life lines up with the message that we're sharing with them. And as cheesy as this may sound, you can think of your life as a walkie-talkie. God's on one end, the lost world's on the other. God can speak to the lost world through you, and the lost world can interact with God through you. They can ask you their questions, and you can share God's answers with them, but the lost world can't interact directly with God. That's why Jesus Christ had to die, to make a way for mankind to have a relationship with him. But you, as a walkie-talkie, are only effective at helping the lost world interact with God if you're on the same channel as God. And so, Your walkie-talkie, if it's on a different channel than God's walkie-talkie, then the lost people around you aren't going to be able to interact with God through you. And yeah, maybe that illustration's a little bit weird, but have you ever wondered why they call them walkie-talkies, aside from the fact that you can walk and talk at the same time? It's like a weird name for a military device. I think it was Brian Regan that got into that a lot. But... um, But man, this verse hits, we're talking about walking and talking. And so... You know, walkie-talkie, there you go. That's a little weird, but um, I don't know how I couldn't think of that when we're talking about walking and talking in that order uh, so close together. Jokes aside, we're having to pay attention to how our lives are portrayed to the lost world around us, and and the first way we think about that is, number one, how you walk, and that's in verse 5. 
uh, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. So what does it mean to walk? Well, walking is a pretty common thing in the Bible. And we'll actually look at a bunch of different references of how walking is used in Scripture. But it's not referring to how you move from one part of the room to the other. We're not talking like walk like an Egyptian. Like how you walk, you, you know, people have a weird walk and you can see it. And you're like, just walk normal. Um, but <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. Your walk is just how you're living your life. It shows how you're progressing through the events of your life. And we'll dig through a bunch of references on how the Bible tells us to walk. But before we do that, notice the command here in this verse is is to walk, which is different than the command in the next verse. But if we're commanded to walk, then we have to realize it's possible that we're standing still and not walking. So not only do we need to be concerned with how we're walking, we need to make sure that we actually are walking. So if your life isn't going anywhere, If you're just sitting around, nothing's really happening for you, well, the Bible has your answer. Walk. If that's you, it's time to stand up and start moving. And these references on your sheet will help you know how to do that because the Bible has a lot to say about how we should walk. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So if you're saved, if you've given your life to Christ in exchange for the eternal life that he offers all of us, you can walk in newness of life because he's given you new life. So the way you live your life should line up with that because we've been given new life. So we should be able to walk with joy and purpose in light of that. We shouldn't continue doing life the same way we do before we ask Jesus to to be a part of our lives. Romans 8.1 says there's Therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So even though we've been given new eternal life in Christ, we understand that we're still stuck in our sinful flesh that tries to get us to fulfill its every desire. But rather than doing that, we should walk after the Spirit. And that Spirit has a capital S, so we know it's the Holy Spirit of God which lives inside of you if you're saved. So walking after the Spirit is just going where the Lord directs you and guides you, uh, where he's directing your life. You just follow that. You walk after him. Because that's definitely not where your flesh wants to lead you. So we walk not after the flesh. We don't follow what we want for our lives. We follow what God wants for our life. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. So as Christians, we shouldn't just speak honestly. We know that, like, if you've ever heard the Ten Commandments, you know, one of them's thou shalt not lie. So obviously we speak honestly, but you should also walk honestly. So we shouldn't live as hypocrites, saying one thing with our mouths and saying another thing with our lives. And this one's particularly important when you're dealing with lost people because people can sniff out hypocrites from a mile away. They sniff them out and then they vote for them. But the problem is that Christianity today is full of hypocrites. And the world has some weird ideas about what the Bible says on how, or on on what Christians think about the world. But unfortunately, that understanding was given to them by Christians not walking honestly. They give them the wrong idea because they're telling them one thing and they're living their lives a different way by saying one thing and doing another. We can't let that be true of us if we want to effectively reach people with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. So we're to walk as the Lord hath called us. 
And this is critical if you want to be used by God. Troy talked about this at church on Sunday. We have to be willing to do what God asks us to do. So if God's pulling you to serve him in a particular capacity, if he's calling you, if you refuse that, well, you can't expect to, to be used by God nearly as much, if at all, if you're doing something else. Like Jeff said on a Sunday a couple weeks ago, we should all be seeking to do what only you can do. And we can only know what that is by following the Lord and the direction he gives us. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 is a pretty well-known verse. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So even when, when what God's asking us to do seems contrary to things that we see going on around us, we're to go with what God says. We're to trust God over our own experiences or understanding. We're to live our lives in a way that we're walking by faith rather than walking by sight. And we all struggle to do that. And that's been made apparent, you know, for, for eons, but especially within the last year or so. Um, but man, we walk by faith rather than sight. Galatians five sixteen says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you want to know how to deal with the temptation to sin that you experience in your life, all you have to do is walk in the Spirit, because then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We've already looked at walking after the Spirit, following the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. But walking in the Spirit is what we've been talking about throughout our study in Colossians keeping your heart, your mind, and your life focused on the things of the Lord. Because if you do that, then your flesh is going to struggle to distract you with temptation. If you can focus on the things that God has in front of you, if you can focus on doing the things he asks you to do, then man, it's going to be a lot harder to see the temptation on the sides and get distracted by it. Now, if you're just sitting around doing nothing, that stuff's going to be in your face. And look, we can't overcome sin on our own. If we could, then we wouldn't need Jesus. So praise the Lord, we have Jesus. And so much of our daily struggle with sin can be dealt with by recognizing that and giving it over to God. If we just learn to focus on the right things, then we're going to have a whole lot easier of a time avoiding the wrong things. Just a few verses down in Galatians 5, verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And this is something that many Christians miss. Because if you're saved, you're living in the Spirit. There's no doubt about that. God's given you eternal life and you're living that life in the Spirit. But that doesn't mean you're walking in the Spirit. So if we want to avoid temptation, you need to walk in the Spirit. And if we want to walk honestly, we need to walk in the Spirit so we're communicating the truth that we're living in the Spirit to the world. Because if we're living in the Spirit and our walk doesn't reflect that, then we're giving a wrong impression uh, to the lost people around us. So the point is, if you're saved, live like it. Keep your life focused on the things that are important to the Lord and keep doing the things that God asks you to do. That's how we can effectively serve the Lord and bring glory to him. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And that vocation you're called to, that one job that God gives to every Christian, that's to share the gospel and make disciples. So we need to walk worthy of that by taking it seriously and making that the priority of our life. But rest assured, the world is watching how you walk, and they'll continue to watch how you walk. And yes, many of them are just waiting for you to screw up so they can point their finger at you and show everyone that you're a hypocrite. That's an awful thing, and it's stupid, but that's the reality of the situation, especially on the internet. What a stupid place. And while you can't spend your entire life walking on eggshells because the world is waiting to accuse you of something that's not politically correct or something weird, man, we need to make sure that we don't give them the opportunity to accuse us of uh, legitimate hypocrisy. 
Because if they do, man, they're just going to drag God's name through the mud and shame on us if that's our fault. 1 Peter 2.12 says, having, our, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So man, people are going to speak against you as evildoers. They're going to do that all the time. But if your life is demonstrating good works, then, then everyone else is going to know that that's not true. Living your life honestly, the way God intends you to live it, man, that alone can bring glory to God as the world beholds your good works. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So when we actually do what God's asking us to do and share the gospel with the lost world, the way we live our life should only reinforce what we're saying. We should let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. We have to practice what we preach if we expect people to believe us. If we want people to hear the gospel and respond to it correctly, man, they can't, they can't think we're hypocrites. Because the world today is full of hypocrites who say one thing and do another. Politicians make rules for everyone other than themselves. But we're different. God is different. And our lives should demonstrate that difference to the world. That's why we're supposed to walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Because we have God's wisdom which is far better than man's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24 say, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God and we have Christ. We have the book written by the guy with all the answers and we need to share those answers with the world but why would the world ever listen to us if our lives are messed up and look just like theirs? Why am I going to tell somebody how to run or how they should be interacting with their wife if my relationship with my wife is a mess? Nobody's going to listen. So does your life demonstrate the wisdom of God? Because it, if it doesn't, man, I'd advise against waiting too long to fix that. Because verse 5 ends with redeeming the time. And that's what we're talking about here with walking in wisdom so that we can redeem the time. And that echoes what Ephesians 5 says in verse 16. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So the days we're living in, man, they're, they're certainly getting evil. And the more evil they get, the less time we have. And so we know we're running out of time. So we have to use what little time we have left wisely. James 4.14 says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is short. Sorry, that's depressing, but that's, that's the truth of it. In fact, Psalm 90, verse 10 says, The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet, is the, yet it is their strength and labor and sorrow, uh, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Humans, generally, we only get 70 to 80 years of life, and the Bible knew that a long time ago. There's some exceptions to that, obviously, but not many. Uh, and maybe that seems like a long time to you right now, but realize, if you're 20 years old, you're a quarter of the way through the max on that, you know? So, maybe that seems like a long time right now, but do you think that'll seem like a long time when, when you're near the end of your life? Do you think you'll look back and think, man, I had forever? No, because you only see the amount you have left. Human life is short, so we can't wait around to get our lives lined up with God and start walking right. 
Because the people of this world need the gospel and their lives are short too and they only have so much time to figure it out. And so we're here to help them figure that out. And if we don't do it now, maybe nobody will. And you're only gonna be able to communicate that effectively if you're walking correctly. So man, we gotta get our lives lined up. We gotta get our lives walking in the right direction. We gotta get our lives pointed the way God wants them pointed. And to make matters even more urgent, man, the Bible ends with Revelation chapter two, verse 20, it says, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So Jesus promises to return quickly. So you might not get those 70 to 80 years. He could return for us at any time. So man, we gotta redeem the time we have. We need to use our lives to help reinforce the gospel the the way that God designed them to. So how you walk is important, but we also need to consider number two, how you talk. And that's what verse six gets at. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And again, I wanna draw your attention to the verb here. Because in the first section, the verb was to walk because it was possible that we're not walking. It's possible that we're not progressing, and if that's the case, we need to fix that. But here, the verb is to let your speech. Um, He's not saying speak this. He's saying let your speech be this. And that's important to note, because God knows people pretty well, and he knows that we humans, we don't shut up. We talk and talk and talk and talk and just keep talking. We're always talking. So he doesn't bother telling us to talk, because he knows our mouths are always open. But while we're talking, we're to let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. So what does it mean to let your speech be always with grace? I think this is actually a pretty cool statement, because it can actually point to a few different things. Um, And the most obvious one is that our speech should always include the gospel. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we're saved by grace. It's the gift of God. Like we talked about last week regarding using every opportunity you have for evangelism. Man, sprinkle grace in every conversation you can. You don't have to only talk about the gospel. That would annoy a lot of people. Like, hey man, how'd the, how'd the Browns game go the other day? Well, let me tell you, Jesus is your savior and he loves you. And once you're, like, people get really annoyed with you really quick if, if that's all you can talk about. But man, when you let your speech be with grace, you're... You're, you're just working it into to conversation as you, as you see opportunity to. Colossians 4, 6 says to let your speech be with grace, not, not only of grace. So talk about other things, but always be looking for an opportunity to turn the conversations you have with lost people into gospel conversations. 2 Corinthians nine fourteen says, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. So that grace that God gives us, it's inside of us the grace of God in you. So when you let your speech be with grace, you're just letting what's inside of you out. And that's why it says to let your speech be with grace and not make your speech with grace. Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you who wants to get the grace out. You just have to let it. Keep looking at grace uh, in Galatians 1.6. It says that we're called into the grace of God. So not only is the grace of God in you, but you're also in God's grace. So again, just let your speech be with grace. And remember the context here, toward them that are without from verse five. Because when you're with all of your saved friends, you don't need to be worried about sharing the gospel. Uh, They're already saved. You have other things to talk about. Um, But when you are with lost people, let your speech be with grace because they need the grace that you have. And if you don't share it with them, who will? 
Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So our communication should be ministering grace to the people listening to us, especially if those hearers need the grace of God. Remember, everything we, we should do should be ministry, or at least that's how we should see it. We should see everything as an opportunity to serve the Lord. And man, our speech, everything we say should be strategic to accomplish that. And in that way, we, we should minister grace to the lost people we're talking to by sharing the gospel with them. So even if you have a conversation with somebody and you don't have the opportunity to declare the entire gospel to them, man, anything you can say to point them to God, point them to Jesus, point them to the Bible, point them to salvation, any of that stuff, man, that'll help you minister grace to them. And that's important because like we mentioned a week or so ago, 1 Peter 4.10 says, and or, as every man hath received the gif- gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that just means God's entrusted us with his grace until he comes back. But he doesn't want us to keep that grace to ourselves. We're to share that grace with the entire world in the hopes that they accept it just like you have. And that's the obvious understanding of what it means to let your speech be with grace. And that's the simplest, basic Bible understanding of it. God's grace is the gospel. So our speech needs to be with that consistently. But our understanding of grace may provide some additional insight here. Because grace can also refer to the way you do something. When an athlete does something that's the opposite of sloppy, we say that he did something, he or she did something gracefully. The Bible doesn't really use the word grace like that, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, The word grace shows up a lot in Scripture. But it's something to think about because verse 6 goes on to say, so ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So not only should we make sure our speech has the gospel sprinkled through it, but we can also spend time smoothing out our presentation. We can do it gracefully. And we we have entire classes in our ministry tools and training curriculum that, that can help you smooth out your presentation of the gospel. And yes, God's pleased when you share the gospel regardless of how smooth you are. And yes, God can use a bumbling idiot as much as he can use the smoothest talking dude in a suit. Not that you're an idiot. But if you can get smoother at sharing the gospel, you'll normally find that you have better results. You'll normally find that you progress to people's issues more and you'll, you'll, you'll get figured out the information that they need uh, before they can understand their need for the gospel. Because if you can, if you can do that, man, you're going to see better results. So our speech needs to be always with grace. But it also needs to be seasoned with salt. And that might sound strange. Don't carry a salt shaker around and just sprinkle it on people as you talk to them. Uh, that'll get you kicked out of, kicked out of a Shoney's real quick. Um, but Matthew 5.13 says that this Shoney's was the weirdest place I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, who eats at Shoney's? I don't know. Well, Waffle House is fine if it's after midnight. Um, but Matthew 5.13 says that salt is to have savor, otherwise it's useless. So when your speech is seasoned with salt, it just means that it should be savory. When you share the gospel, it should be enticing. And again, you just have to let this happen because the gospel is enticing. A way to deal with your sin without having to spend eternity separated from God, what could be better for real? But our presentation of that information should communicate that excitement. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we 
are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We're to persuade men. Because the main part of evangelism is simply presenting them with the information of the gospel. But the other part is doing that in a way that persuades people to accept it. Now, there are limits to this. Don't beg with people or try to get them or try to talk them into accepting the gospel. If you can talk them into it, somebody else can talk them out of it. And obviously, don't lie to them about what the Bible says. But we're to persuade them. So you present them with the information in a way that communicates all the cool stuff that God does for us so that they can understand all the reasons why they need the gospel. And a good practical way to start thinking about this is think back to when you got saved. What did you learn that made you realize you needed Jesus? What were you told that made you decide to follow him? Because if you've accepted the gospel, you've been persuaded that you needed it. And understanding how you were persuaded can help you persuade others as well. So salt makes things taste better, uh, makes them savory, but salt also used for some other things. Historically, before the days of refrigerators, uh, Steve can tell you this, (laughs) salt was used as a preservative. So meat would be stored in salt to keep it fresh for as long as possible. I'm sorry, Steve, that was uncalled for. (laughs) Your speech could do the same thing in someone's life. It could preserve Uh, preserve your speech Uh, if you continue to remind them of God's love for them uh, or remind them of their need for a savior you can keep bringing things up to people in ways that obviously won't annoy them or or chew them away but man God can use you as a constant reminder in someone's life of their need for the gospel so you can preserve the gospel's effect in their life by making them continue to think about it until they accept it So once you start a gospel conversation with somebody, man, don't just walk away from that. Schedule another conversation with them. Keep following up with them over and over again until they make a decision. And if at the end of the day they make a decision to reject the gospel, man, that's their decision. But man, keep that conversation going. Keep preserving that. Salt also irritates wounds. And God's word can do exactly the same thing. After Stephen preached in Acts 7 to the the Jewish leaders, Acts 7.54 says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So, man, people can get cut to the heart by what the Bible says. So we don't have to be afraid to tell people what the Bible says. Because at the end of the day, if God's word is pricking people's hearts, and that makes them mad, well, we're doing our job. So that's how we're going to, er, so that's how we're to talk to the lost people of the world, always with grace seasoned with salt so that we know how to answer every man and that's a good place to wrap up our discussion tonight because God has all the answers for every question human beings have ever had how to have a successful marriage how to be successful parents how to have a successful career how to live a certain way like the Bible has all the answers God put all those answers in the Bible and lost people whether they admit it or not they have a bunch of questions because they don't have access to those same answers that we do when we're just carrying our Bibles around. And it's our job to get them the answers to those questions so that they can understand their need for Christ. Because you gotta start with getting saved. You can't do anything else um, until you give your life to the Lord. And so we need to communicate that to them. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the and intents of the heart. Sure, the Bible's a book, 
but name me another book that can discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. The thoughts of your heart, that's what you think. The Bible knows what you think. The intents of your heart, that's why you think those things you think. So the Bible not just know, doesn't just know what you think. It knows why you think those things. And more often than not, we don't even know why we think the things we do. But man, God's word does. Ain't no chicken soup for the soul gonna get that information to you. <laughs> the Bible has all the answers. And when people have their questions answered, man, they respond to that. Even when Jesus was a boy in Luke 2, 47, it says, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And so if we're, gonna, if we're willing to dig into the Bible and learn some things, man, we can be ready with some answers for the lost people we talk to. And that's just one reason why 2 Timothy 2.15 says we're to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because God doesn't want you to limit your understanding of the Bible to what you hear on Sunday mornings or Tuesday nights. He wants you to roll up your sleeves, crack open your Bible, and study for yourself so that you can have the answers with which to answer every man. And man, that's a lifelong pursuit, but it's worth pursuing because God can use that in your life to, to reach the lost people around you with the answers they need. So as we wrap up tonight, you need to work on your walkie, you need to work on your talkie, and you need to work on both. Do you, need your, do you need your life to better line up with what God says so that it reinforces the gospel that you're sharing with people? Or do you need to get your speech where it needs to be? We all need to find ways to get God's grace into our speech more and more. But, but also think, how can, you, how can you better season your presentation of the gospel? How can you put that salt in there? Do you need to take discipleship so you can start learning how to get a hold of the basic truths of the Bible? Or do you, if you finish that, do you need to start ministry tools and training so you can get a better grasp on some of the deeper things of God? Or if you finish that and need to move on to taking Bible Institute classes? First Baptist Church has a path of growth for a reason because we want to see men and women of every walk of life become more effective at winning people to Christ and making disciples. But nobody's going to make you do anything. It's up to you to want to do what God has for you and to grow the way God wants you to grow. And my prayer is that you'll consider what you need to do to pursue that tonight. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just how simple your word is. And God, I just pray that as it convicts us and as it instructs us and guides us, man, I just pray that we'd heed to it. I pray that we would uh, just consider what it is we need to do to get our lives more in line with with your word so that we can be better ministers of you. Because at the end of the day, God, if we're sharing the gospel with people and, and our lives are a mess, man, they're going to see right through that. They're going to see that and, and run the other way. Like, if, if that's what that means to them, then, uh, man, they don't want any part of it. God, I pray that wouldn't be true of us. I pray that we'd have our lives lined up the way you want them to be lined up. I pray that we would give ourselves wholly over to you so that when we do share the gospel and tell people that our lives belong to you, man, I pray that that would be true. I pray that our lives would belong to you in absolutely everything. And I just ask that you would continue to guide and direct us and, man, bring us opportunities to share the gospel for your glory. We love you. Amen.